Hello. Uh, today I thought that we would start off with some informal processing. And with all, uh, with all processing, no matter informal or formal, you're going to have to stare into my eyes and not blink. If you blink, you're going to have to start the whole process over. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I am your host, Adam Kautzer, and today, unfortunately, we do not have Scott with us. Scott is actually down and out for the count. He's um, actually got a case of strep throat, so he was not going to be able to podcast with us this week, but I still wanted to give you guys a podcast episode, something for Thanksgiving, something that you could mull over and kind of listen to over the long holiday weekend, and actually, maybe possibly, I'm hoping that you'll uh, revisit uh, today's movie, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Amy Adams, Laura Dern, Rami Malek, Jesse Plemons, and a host of other uh, other actors. Um, now, the hows, the whys, and the reasons why we're actually talking about this film, we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to just kind of... Uh, just let you guys know, Scott is going to be back next week. Like I said, he's just under the weather right now. We will be talking about, we will be starting our series about ninjas, which has not been labeled just as of yet. I don't have a clever title for it yet, but rest assured we will have a clever title by the time it posts uh, sometime next, or well, next week, not sometime next week, but next week. Um, but with that, let's kind of go ahead and... Uh, get into Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Get thee behind me, Satan. I want to resist, but the moon is low. Get thee behind me Get thee behind me, Satan So recently I picked up uh, the hardcover book called Paul Thomas Anderson's Paul Thomas Anderson Masterworks uh, written by Adam Nyman and uh, I started reading it um, as you guys I think I've talked about um, I've been kind of deep heavy into in 2020 I've been really deeply heavy into uh, going ahead and reading film books um, a lot of the books that I've been reading are film are film based just because it's a great time to catch up on those things. And, you know, I mean, I'm always of the theory that, you know, uh, that reading these critical works are extremely important to just be a better, not only a better critic, but a better viewer. Um, and Paul Thomas Anderson is one of the uh, premier directors out there and there hasn't been a lot of critical like you know critical work done 
um, in regards to his filmography. And so when I saw Nyman, who um, is a, you know, is a, is a really amazing critic, uh, had this book out, uh, thanks to shout out to Scott, who actually pointed me, uh, pointed this book out to me. Um, I instantly bought it. And when it came in, I started, it was my next book that I started to read. Um, it's, and by the way, it's, uh, it's published by Little White Lies, the film website publishing entity, and they couldn't have done a more beautiful job of this, uh, uh of this book. I mean, uh, Nyman's critical studies, uh, and dissection of the, uh, of the filmography is, is amazing. I'm about halfway through it, I think about, uh, yeah, I'm about halfway through it. Uh, and the, the most interesting part about the book is that he's going in the chronology of the movies in which they take place. So kind of wrap your head around that. That's pretty, it's a pretty amazing way to approach things and the way to write about things as an entry point to a filmmaker. Uh, so I have been rewatching uh, PTA's movies and the one that struck me the most in my rewatch was The Master. I, it, I hadn't gone back to it in probably about five years. I think it's been about like 2015, 2016, maybe was the last time I actually, um, took a look at, took a look at the master. And like, I'm always like, what I love so much about Anderson's work is, is that, um, he like more than, more than just his, like, you know, his, his intelligence, like his filmmaking IQ it's the way that his style has evolved and changed over the, what, close to 25 plus years that he's been making films. And I feel like, like, even though I think they're grouped together, the master and uh, there will be blood. I feel like there is a very distinct difference between the two. Um, there will be blood is, is what it is. It's a very, it, it's not a narrow film, but it's a very specific film. You like after you've seen it, you know exactly this the the film that you're watching, and you know you you know what it's about. You there's nothing. I, I hate to say that there's nothing to add on to it, but it's such a straightforward, straight ahead um, film in the way that it's shot and directed and even acted. Um, that I don't see how you can misinterpret anything, but the master is a little bit different. I feel like the master is a little bit, uh, it's, it's slippery. It's not as, uh, you know, filmmakers often get, get looped, lumped in with Stanley Kubrick. Kubrickian, uh, is a term that people use. And I, I think it's a fucking shortcut piece of shit way of like, you know, taking an artist and pigeonholing them into another artist's vein, even though that they're nothing like that other artist. Uh, Stanley Kubrick is a master onto him, his own self, uh, same way that Paul Thomas Anderson is a master onto himself. But I feel like the way that Kubrick dealt with the openness of his films and the way that that you know you watch a you watch a Kubrick film and it's never the same experience uh, anytime you you know you rewatch it 
uh, anytime you rewatch a film, it's never the same experience. And I feel like the master is the same. It, it, it has that quality to it, that ephemeral like quality that you can't really put your finger on everything all at once. There's a lot. To, I feel like there's a lot to be interpreted by the like the film itself, um, because it, I feel like the film is more about questions and behavior than it is about answers. And what I love about the master is that he defiantly like Paul Thomas Anderson defiantly just makes a movie about character. It, it has a structure, but the structure is, the structure is built upon like the way that life occurs with incident after incident after incident. And it's never, it never comes from a place of plot. It always comes from these two characters played by Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman as they dance around one another. They're like a, they're like a cobra and a mongoose and they can't help but be attracted to one another um, to damning results, some very hilarious results and also some very beautiful results. Like uh, one of the things that I, I gleaned from this last viewing was, was that this, this is a love story between two men, but it's a, it's a story like it's, it's a love story that is so codependent and so toxic that brings out the worst in each of these men, even though they can't help but be drawn to one another. Um, and it's it's incredible work. Like you want like the first time I watched it, I still remember seeing watching it for the first time and not knowing what the fuck to make out of it. Like, was I supposed to laugh? Was I supposed to be repulsed? Was I what was I, what were my reactions supposed to be? And like the, the beautiful thing about the master and what Paul Thomas Anderson does is that anything's, it's all open. It's open for interpretation. Like, you know, if you think that it's a comedy of errors, I don't think that Paul Thomas Anderson would say that you were wrong. I don't think that he, I think he, he's bemused by these characters that he's created that, like have been bred uh, like you know like the life has been breathed into them by these amazing actors i think that he truly he loves these characters in the way that he can watch them and be fascinated by them i mean there's so much that's not as much as what's said in this film <laughs> there is so much that goes unsaid that is the meat of the film and to me, like rewatching it and going back to it, I have to watch it again. I'm going to probably watch it a few more times. It's it it's it's something there's something about it that within its open air, like within the within the spaces, within the the, the spaces between dialogue and the the looks, the visuals, the way that things play out, there's so much to be interpreted um and it's almost like like it is really ironic that the film opens at a, a like you know the opening moments um as freddie is being um processed through 
um, the Navy to get discharged after the war because it takes place post World War Two. Um, he goes through uh, like he goes through some psychological testing, and one of them is a uh, a Rorschach test. And I think that the Rorschach test is is kind of pretty apt uh, to the kind of film that I feel like Anderson is made here. Uh, like the master is a Rorschach test and what you like, there's no wrong answers and whatever you want to think it's about. It's about like, if you, if you think that it's like a, a veiled biography of L Ron Hubbard uh, and a takedown of Scientology, go right ahead and think that because a lot of that is there, but it's also like if you don't want to take it as a literal like Roman Clef of L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology, you don't have to. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it's got enough of the subtle variances that it makes it not a one to one or even a one to two or whatever, however you want to you want to approach it. Um it's almost as though he used the Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard type and used it as a framework to talk about things that he wanted to talk about. And uh, it's fascinating. Like, you know, I found like what I find now, um, what I found now, like going re revisiting it after a few years is fuck Philip Seymour Hoffman was a was a beast like this film is like a monument, a love letter to Hoffman. I know a lot of people talk about Schenectady, New York, and that's a good film and it's a fine film, but this is like the master is literally like, like his, like this is the monument to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, I hate to use the word masterwork, but it's, it feels like his masterwork. Like he should have one, um, best actor for this and not for Capote, even though Capote was good. It just here, there's just a different level here. And I think it's also the people that he's, that he's playing off of. It, it's not just Philip Seymour Hoffman on another level. I mean, it's Joaquin Phoenix on another level. It's Amy Adams on another level. I mean, even the supporting players, like somebody like Jesse Plemons, who, I mean, now is quote unquote Jesse Plemons. I mean, we, we've seen him in Fargo. We've seen him in all of this other great work. But here he was like, you know, fresh off of Friday Night Lights. And, you know, he goes like there are moments between him and Phoenix that are just astounding. Like he like you can see why he went where he went or somebody like Rami Malek coming in, somebody who we kind of knew in 20, uh, like, you know, in 2012, but he, it, Mr. Robot was still a distance away and like, you know, um, the queen biography, I'm not going to call it by its name because, you know, I have my, mo I have my reasons, but you have, you have him and the work he does. I mean, there's, there's moments where like him, Phoenix and Hoffman are sharing the screen and you can tell, like, you just watch it and you go, fuck, this guy is not backing down. Like, he's not intimidated. You can tell when people are intimidated by great actors, and he doesn't. He's not. And the work literally speaks for itself here. Uh, it's it's just jaw-droppingly good. And 
you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman being the the apex of the pyramid. And then I know this is going to sound strange, but at the very bottom is Joaquin Phoenix holding it all up. Every single person. Um, and we'll get more to that in the characters in a minute. So The Master was the first film post uh, There Will Be Blood. So it's the it's the movie that like literally is the is the next step in this like like this huge step forward for Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, I mean, there's us, there's the the acolytes, the people that have been there since the beginning. I mean, I I was there opening night in October of 1997 when the LA exclusive run started for Boogie Nights and I was there opening fucking night at the AMC Century uh, City 14 waited four hours to go to 11 11 o'clock showing of of this movie because I was that hyped for this film that I like all of the all of the press all of the you know, uh, PTA is the new Martin Scorsese bullshit, like, got to me, and I needed to see this film, and, I mean, I was not disappointed, I mean, I came out of that theater at 1.30 in the morning, drunk as fuck, off of, off of Buggy Nights, and I've been, I've been an acolyte ever since, um, you know, I've rolled with the punches, but, like, there seemed to be something about There Will Be Blood, it was like, this, it was like his John Ford searchers moment where he became Paul Thomas Anderson, all in capital letters. And the master was the next film in the, the evolution. And I find it, it's very interesting what he decided to do for a man who, um, is known for his visual style and his visual flair. He, did a lot of things differently with the master. He sh- first the thing the first thing was was that he shot it on sixty five. I know you know it was projected seventy, and we talk about like seventy millimeter and and such. But here's the thing: is that when you shoot, it shoot on sixty five, and then it's seventy millimeter prints. So he shot on sixty five mostly. Um, he did shoot a combination of 35 and 65 but he also did he also like with that visual with that change he also changed cinematographers um he, Robert Elswit uh, is the this is the first time that Robert Elswit did not shoot his film uh it was shot by Mahai uh, Malamar Jr and it's also his first uh um, flat movie like uh, he didn't shoot in scope he didn't shoot in two three uh, two three four or two three nine uh, he shot it in one eight five um, which is because of the 65 millimeter to get it uh, to get I think it's technically it's that but it's also because of the way that the film is shot um, 
he's always had fascinations with faces and um, the physicality of human beings and the proximity towards one another, but he does it differently in this film because of the 185 frame. It allows him to fill the frame differently with um, faces and the 70 millimeter, like, or the 65 millimeter, the way that he uses it is very different than the way that he used, uh, like, you know, he's used film before because this is a movie about people and about motivations and about actions and about the physicality of somebody and um, about the way people interact and the subtleties of of things like the subtlety of incidences and occurrences and what better format to see the minutia on somebody's face than in 65 millimeter or 70 millimeter uh, projected in the biggest possible, biggest and clearest possible format in uh, it, it. And the results are striking. Like it's, it literally does exactly what you expect it to do. It's a, it, because it becomes about a movie. It's a movie about people and it's this hyper realized version of, of of people and characters so with that it catches everything like there's nothing that it does that that anderson's camera doesn't catch and it's all shot on dolly which is amazing like it's a very classically filmed movie um he shot it all on dolly track you can tell like you can definitely tell like when you watch the film the like if this is a rewatch for you uh i definitely say watch this and and see how he films it it's very like it's a very like he almost you like he uses the filmmaking style of the era that he is filming so like you know it's post-war so it's around like it takes place around like i think it's around 48 to about 51 or 52 so during that era it's the studio produced films uh dolly locked in tracks like the movement being like you know beautifully stable on um, this kind of very classic uh, th this very classic mise-en-scene and it's all there but it's it's just it's it's all done with the way that Paul Thomas Anderson would uh, always film something like there's something about the symmetry in his shots the way that he composes things the way that his editors and music composers all kind of work together to create a film that is specifically Paul Thomas Anderson. And here he's doing like he's shifting and changing and evolving from where he came with there will be blood. Like there will be blood is the thesis of the man that's just about to turn 40. Like that is the thought that is the, that's the man who started with hard eight, went to boogie nights continued on with Magnolia found something interesting in um, Punch Drunk Love and then evolved into 
there will be blood. Like, it all leads to that. Like, the, the trajectory is there. And then once he's there, it's like, where do you go from there? And rather than continuing on that course, he veers left. And I think that if you're a true Paul Thomas Anderson fan, this is where things get interesting. The Master is definitely where things get interesting because things, like, not just from a technical standpoint, but from the way that things are written, um, the way that things are put together, it changes and it evolves into this, like, I, I guess I would call it, like, lucid filmmaking because there's this dreamlike quality that that each of the films after like after there will be blood have that are not they're not dream logic it's just they have a dreamlike feel where the the stories are never they're never an abc plot i mean as to like his adaptation of inherent vice will have you uh, like, you know, you can look at that and just very easily understand that he cares nothing about plot, but everything about character. Um, it, it's it's almost like There Will Be Blood has that plot and that those plot mechanics. And after, like, he's gone as far as he could go with that. And then the outcome is the next film becomes The Master, which has some, like, it has plot, but it's not really reliant on it. Um, it's connected through, it, it's connected through psyche and not necessarily like the way that the scenes work are, are, are connected psychologically rather than, than an actual like ABC plot. It becomes about the psychology of Freddie played by, uh, um, played by Joaquin Phoenix and Lancaster Dodd, who is the master um, AKA Philip Seymour Hoffman and how they find each other. Like, you know, and once they find each other, the kind of damage that they each do to one another. Um, and each like each scene and each time, uh, like, or that as time progresses through the film, it becomes very clear that this is a this is a push and pull. This is there's like this power dynamic going on between like the the id of Freddy and the the id of Lancaster and how they push and pull. Like there's it's there's nothing incidental in this film. Like I find it I I, I found it very telling in this last one uh, in this last viewing when uh, when Freddy and and the master are sitting down for their first informal processing. Um Lancaster describes them as an animal and a scoundrel. And the thing is is that in knowing some uh, no one uh, no uncertain terms freddie definitely is an animal and a scoundrel like he's he's this wild thing uh, and wild as in in the way that like certain people are, just cannot be contained by walls and when you can find them they they're like a cornered animal they will react and it's very interesting how 
like, you know, Lancaster sums him up so quickly and knows exactly who this man is. Like we spend, we spend a good amount of time. I think it's the first 30 minutes actually watching Freddy go through everything and get to the point to where he meets, uh, uh, he meets Dodd. And it's interesting because everything that he does is this, it, like you watch it and you're just your jaw is agape it's, it's the first time you see it like i mean like there's some moments that are truly funny like uh there's a moment where after he's gotten uh a after he's um gotten out of the army or the navy he takes a job at like a woolworths or a sears or whatever like a uh, as a photographer and he starts doing all of these photographs and it's only so long before uh, Freddie can't take it anymore and he just smashes it and how he does that is uh, this moment with somebody who's taking a photograph and like the first time I saw it I thought it was funny uh, like even now I find it fucking hilarious I I giggle to no end and it's just a piece of black humor like or dark dark humor like this nightmarish piece of humor that's that's like that that's so in character for Freddie as a person that like after the laughter, after I, I stopped laughing, I realized that this is literally, you know, as they say, like he, he was boxed in and he needed to just literally rip out of that, that box. I mean, so much so that later on during, during the jail scene where both, uh, both of them are in jail because, you know, of course, like all, <laughs> like all snake oil salesman, Dodd is a fraud and, um, he gets, he gets, uh, gets caught by the police and arrested and Freddie freaks the fuck out and they both end up in prison and the, the walls are too much for Freddie and he loses it and, uh, you know, Don just watches him and with, with bemusement and literally calls him an animal. Um, and it, it's a frightening scene at a certain point because you're watching, like it, it becomes this whole thing of like this thin line between like re, real psycho, like, you know, a real psychological break and like amazing acting and with Joaquin Phoenix you never know um I, I I read that during this scene that he plays out in handcuffs um he literally dislocated his shoulder from all of the physical jaunting that he was doing and you can see it I mean literally if you watch the scene and you know that you can see the moment this fucking guy dislocates his shoulder and you can see it visually um and it's truly frightening but it's also electrifying like it's it's this moment of of recompense where you like this is the first time that dodd realizes even though he's not he's not playing it but he realizes that freddie is you know freddie is just as dangerous as everybody is telling him um uh and it's like it's interesting because it also plays out as this weird power love triangle between Dodd, Freddy, and um, Amy Adams' character, which is uh, Dodd's wife, um, and uh, Peggy, and 
and they're like it's not it's a it's how Freddie and Lancaster together make terrible like make terrible bedfellows but it also disrupts Peggy's ultimate goals like the the most interesting part about my rewatch of this uh like what I found the most interesting aspect of it was the watching Amy Adams storyline evolve and not really catching it the first like four or five times I've seen this movie, which is completely ridiculous. Um, but it's how the loss like it, it's her loss of control of Lancaster. Like there's this moment. It, it's probably like it, it's probably one of the like if you've seen the master, you know exactly what fucking moment I'm talking about. It's the come for me scene. And it's it's set in this bathroom and it's after it, it it's after like it, it's after this moment where you're watching uh you're you're watching Lancaster get drunk and he's singing a song to all of these people specifically women and you watch like the scene is not like even though it's told from freddie's perspective and it's a there's a very interesting moment where we go into like what i would like to call freddie vision and we see that all of the women are nude but it's also a very telling moment because the of the way that freddie treats women and it it makes perfect sense but the scene isn't about freddie and that character moment it's totally about peggy um peggy and her realization that she is losing her powerful grip on lancaster and then the next scene we see that they're getting ready for bed and she literally comes over and begins to like literally jerk him off but it's not about the jerking off it's not about the masturbating it's not about the 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 sex it's about this moment of like her coming in or her like her coming in <laughs> um but her going hard as fuck on him and going you you may think that you're in control you may uh like you may be philand a philandering asshole but always remember that I have your balls and I tell you when to do things. And I'm, I'm the head motherfucker in charge here, not you and not Freddie. And all of this stupid bullshit that you're doing needs to come to an end. And it's just, it's this fucking moment where like Amy Adams, Amy Adams should have fucking won an Oscar for this movie for that fucking moment. Um, it is, it is a truly brave moment that, you know, where she had the space to be able to go there. And I can only imagine what it was like on set during that time and that like shooting that that had to have been a very weird situation or it could have been a weird situation, but it really probably wasn't. Um, because the space was there to actually go there and do something that is a lot different than what we're used to seeing on screen. Um, and, and it's just a fucking baller moment. I mean, you, you see that and you see like the thing that I noticed was, was that I noticed how it shifted 
for me, the dynamics in not just that relationship, but in the entire movie. Um, Because you fast forward to the end uh, with uh, with Freddie and Lancaster having their final moment, and it's all guided by by Peggy. And the way that it's photographed and the geography in the scene is just, it's fucking amazing. It's literally just these three characters in this vast room, but the way that they're, the, the, the geography of where they're standing, where they're sitting, how they're shot, and what is said, but more importantly, what isn't said is just amazing you watch this shit and you go i'm in the hands of a master while i'm watching the master uh i fucking hate <laughs> like you don't realize how much like you want to use the word masterful or master um when you're talking about a movie like this and it's titled the master so you really can't but uh it's there's like th- there's so many levels to this film that watching it once or twice is just not going to do um like i found so much to dig into in this film it's a meal and a half i mean it's literally if we were it, it's very apropos that we're talking about it during thanksgiving because it is a meal and a half like it's it there's so much to digest and to take in it's almost too much. Like your your mind can only take so much when you're watching. You can only process so much when you're watching something. And I feel like that's what's happening in the master is that even though it feels like it's a very simplistic movie, it's anything but that. And there's so much going on. There's so much more to talk about. And the funniest part about this is that I have I, like I haven't. I mean, even the the final moments with Freddie and the girl, uh, the British girl that he takes to bed when he's in London. I mean, there's so much in that scene and so much. There's so much to be said about that scene. Um, but like, how do you unravel it? I mean, like after everything that's happened, uh, you know, between, uh, you, know, you know, between him and Dodd, and then he goes and he finds this this girl and he just comes he becomes the person that he always he always was like there's this interesting like aspect uh, to the entire film where everybody tells like everybody is telling freddy that he's this animal he's this thing that cannot be caged and but he needs to change that and like through the whole entire film, you see him wrestle with it. And it's funny because at the end, Freddie just goes back to being Freddie and the person that he, uh, the person that he was maybe a little bit wiser, um, but probably going to like, you know, in my theories, like, you know, after, after this movie ends, he has, he either ends up in jail or dead. I mean, there's only so much that a, a guy who drinks, uh, like you know literal poison and makes literal hooch poison uh can do um there's only so much like you know before the confines of law and uh and law enforcement are going to um uh, take before they they strike back and uh, but it's 
also kind of like, you know, like it's kind of beautiful in this way that the final moments are just of Freddie laughing, having sex with this woman and in in most in the most blissful possible manner um, that uh, that could happen for Freddie. And um, it's just it, it's an interesting way to, to end the film um, and to just kind of like close the book on these characters because i feel like the master is this amazing movie where you're brought into these characters lives and it's not that these people's lives end it just literally we just stop seeing like we stop seeing what's happened to them after the the credits roll uh, there's still a life afterwards and that's what i always get from the film is is that like things are still continuing on freddie is going to fuck up again big time he'll probably go back to drinking heavily and he'll probably do something terrible um lancaster dodd and peggy and all of them will continue to con people out of money with their psychobabble snake oil salesman bullshit but they will never have as an intense of moments or like they'll never have the intensity of the moments that they had when freddie and lancaster were circling one another and were drawn to one another again it's it's a love story but it's a very codependent love story a a love story that doesn't have like that isn't necessarily the prototypical love story It, it it's also uh, like a love story in the way that it's about a power dynamic and how one power dynamic is ruptured by another one and how that causes ripple effects through multiple lives. It's it's a very, very, very heady film uh, and one that I'm really glad that I revisited. I hope that you guys revisit it. Um, it's on iTunes. You can buy, I would say, buy the, the Blu-ray. The, the most unfortunate part about this is, is that I really was hoping that sometime soon that they would, be, with the advent of 4K UHD discs, that they would actually release one. Because if there's a movie that technically needs a release in 4K, it's The Master and it's also... Um, you know, another one, The Hateful Eight, both filmed in 65 millimeter, both which would be amazing to see. Like, I've actually thought about buying that Sony UHD box set, that $200 thing, just so that I could have, um, just so that I could have Lawrence of Arabia, uh, to watch Lawrence of Arabia, um, in 4K and to see what that experience is like and how it differs from the theater. Um, but again, uh, you can get this on Blu-ray, on iTunes, Amazon, wherever you, uh, wherever you get your movies, and if you don't have it already. And then the book, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson Masterworks. I'll link to, uh, I'll link it, I'll link to Amazon so that you can actually take a look at it. You don't have to buy it from Amazon if you don't want to. I'll say just so that you can actually see uh, the book that I'm talking about. It's a, it's a really great book. Uh, so with that, guys. I think that's about does it for the master and uh, this Thanksgiving edition of the B-Movie podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we're going to start our ninja series um, next week uh, where Scott will be back uh, and we'll get the ball rolling on that. Um, You can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. The handles are the same. 
bmoviepod, the letter B, the word movie, the word pod, all together, no lines, no dashes, no bullshit. Uh, you can also find the site. Uh, the movie aisle, uh, also on Twitter and Instagram. Same, uh, the handle is the movie aisle, all letter, uh, um, no lines, no dashes, no bullshit, just the movie aisle. Uh, Twitter is just a landing page where you can see new articles or new podcasts posting. Uh, we do a lot of our social media interactions on Instagram because it's a visual medium and we're talking about visual mediums. Uh, we're talking about a visual medium. So with that, guys, uh, thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast as much as I enjoyed not only revisiting the master, but talking to you guys about it in a different, uh, in a different form than I'm usually used to talking a little bit more serious. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed it all the, all the same. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. <laughs>